you have your copy of God's Word, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 22. 1 Samuel chapter number 22. As we are in our series, 23rd message out of the book of 1 Samuel. And uh, let's see, how many chapters does this book have? Anybody know? 31. So we're, we're uh, making our way through it here pretty quick. We'll finish up chapter 22 tonight. Dipped into a little bit of chapter 22 last week or the week before rather. When we talked about God's provision and he followed, God's provision followed David all to those four different places from Nob uh, to Gad to Adullam to Moab and back to Judah. And uh, tonight we're going to cover verses 6 through verse 23. The title of the message is Playing the Victim. I've talked a little bit, talked about it on my pastor's preview, talked about it this morning. I'm burdened for this message. I think that, I think that our society at large needs this message. But honestly, I think our church needs this message. I really do. I needed this message. I believe you need this message. And once again, I would, I would caution you, if based on the title you're thinking, no, it's not me. I mean, I get really upset when people play the victim, but I don't play the victim. Then you really need this message. Take heed lest ye fall. So, so I want to explain right up front what I mean by playing the victim. What do I mean by that exactly? Because there's a lot of definitions. I just put some together into kind of a paragraph and I think this sums it up nicely. Playing the victim means seeing your entire life through a perspective that things constantly happen to you. Victimization is a combination of seeing most things in life as negative, beyond your control, and as something you should be given sympathy for experiencing as you deserve better. Playing the victim means you see everyone is trying to hurt you. At its heart, a victim mentality is actually a way to avoid taking any responsibility for yourself or your life. See, by believing you have no power, then you don't have to take action. Now, before we go any further, I need to make a crucial distinction. I want everybody to hear me. There is such thing as an innocent victim. There's a huge difference between being a victim and playing the victim. Unfortunately, every day in our society, there are people who suffer unjust evil at the hands of others. It's happening in our community. It's happening in our schools. It's happening in our country. It's happening in our world. I'm confident that some even here tonight under the sound of my voice have been genuine victims of wrongdoing. I believe that. Thankfully, God promises in the book of Psalms and otherwise that he is close to the victims of evil doing. And our church should be as well. In no way am I preaching to people in the congregation tonight who are genuine victims of wrongdoing or have been in the past. I'm not preaching to you. You've been through some very difficult real times. I'm preaching to those who are playing the victim. But you're really not. See, the idea of victimization, I think you'd agree, has become quite rampant in our society today. Look at the definition. It's, it's incredibly common for people today, is it not, to view their life through a perspective that things constantly happen to them. It's common for people of all ages to be entitled to this exuberant amount of, of sympathy for the difficult things they go through in life as though they're the only ones going through anything. 
It's quite common for people to struggle with taking personal responsibility for their actions and instead shift the blame to others as a way to avoid taking responsibility and action themselves. All of this is common in our society today, but here's what I want you to get. It didn't start in our society. Victimization wasn't birthed in 2021. So next time I hear somebody two generations back say to me, oh man, I just wish we'd go back to the good old days. As though self-victimization wasn't a part of your society. Self-victimization was in the Bible thousands of years ago. It was in your generation, even if you're an elderly saint in here. And it's in our generation today. And it's proven by the life of King Saul who played the victim. Now, let me remind you very quickly about King Saul's past. So, you know, he wasn't a genuine victim. He was playing the victim. All we got to do is go back a couple chapters to 1 Samuel 17. And and King Saul and, and the Israelite army was faced with a giant named Goliath. You remember that? For 40 days, they lived in fear and refused to fight Goliath, even though he was defying their God, the glory of their God and their army. A shepherd boy randomly and not so randomly shows up to check in on his brothers, drop off some bread and some cheese, some refreshments. And he sees that nobody is standing up to the giant. So he says, is there not a cause? The guy is defying the glory of my God. So he grabs a sling and the rest is history. He kills Goliath. The aftermath is ugly. The women of the town start to write songs about him. Saul has slain his thousands, but Saul didn't like the last verse. David has slain his ten thousands. Understand, it, it didn't have to be this way. The song didn't have to be written about David. Saul had 40 days. Amen. 40 days to stand up for, for the cause of, of Christ. 40 days to fight for the glory of God. 40 days to be the leader that God ordained for him to be. And he didn't. He's not a victim. He's a product of fear. He's a product of selfishness. He's a product of impulsiveness. He's the product of pride. He's the product of his own bad choices. Yet when he heard the women singing about David being more valiant in battle than he was, he immediately began to play the victim. And the self-victimization put Saul on a trajectory of irrational and impulsive behavior that would climax in the chapter we're going to study tonight. Up to this point, Saul has tried to kill David at least eight times. And he's been unsuccessful. You know why he's been unsuccessful so far? Not because he's just a bad aim. Not because he's a bad planner. Not because he's got just pathetic servants. You know why he's been unsuccessful? Because God is with David. What I'm talking about is the supernatural presence and power to act on David's behalf, no matter the circumstance or the opposition. David is God's man for the throne and God will protect him. So far, Saul has chased David from Judah to Nob to Gath to Adullam to Moab and now back to Judah. And apparently when David is back in the land of Judah, his location was discovered by Saul's men. And that's where we pick up our text. We won't read it, but verse 6 tells us that Saul was underneath a tree. He was pouting. He had a spear in his hand. And in this conversation he begins to have with the servants that are standing around him while he's sitting underneath the tree, we get clues that he is playing the victim. Several clues. Look at verse 7. 
Then Saul said unto his servants that stood about him, Here now, you Benjamites, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds? I want you to notice a clue in verse 7. He called David by the, by the son of Jesse. In that day, if you referred to somebody not by their name, but, but as the fact that their, their, their father's son, that was degrading, it was condescending disrespectful in that day. What is Saul doing? He's belittling David. He's trying to cause David to look incompetent and weak to his men. You know you're playing the victim when you've resorted to belittling the one who's hurt you. Verse 8. That all of you have conspired. Did you see that? All of you have conspired against me. And there is none, you see the exaggeration, that showeth me that my son hath made a league with the son of Jesse. And there is none of you that, that is sorry for me. Or showeth unto me that my son has stirred up my servant against me. To lie in wait as at this day. Belittlement. Now there's false accusation. Are you listening? Saul's accusing people of conspiring against him that never conspired against him. David didn't conspire against him. We never read that. His servants didn't conspire against him. We didn't read that. Jonathan, his son, didn't even conspire against him. He's about to accuse Ahimelech, the priest, of conspiring against him, and Ahimelech didn't. None of the people who Saul is paranoid about have done him wrong. This is what playing the victim will cause you to do. It will cause you to believe that everybody's against you and everybody's out to hurt you. It will cause you to be so insecure that you doubt everyone's intentions, even if they're good. But apparently there was one guy. His name was Doeg the Edomite. He was in the room this day and he was ambitious enough to play along with Saul in hopes that it would earn him a promotion. If the name Doeg sounds familiar, it's because two weeks ago in chapter 21, there was one verse that talked about Doeg. He was in the room when David met with Ahimelech the priest and asked him for a sword and bread. The literary camera, remember, shifted on Doeg for just a moment to give us a clue that there was one of Saul's herdsmen in there listening to David's conversation with Ahimelech. And so Doeg, as ambitious as he was to climb up the ladder in the kingdom, he wanted to use his intelligence to, to let King Saul know what he knew. Yes, yeah, so, so look at verse 9 through 15. Follow along. Then answered Doeg the Edomite, which was said over the servants of Saul, and said, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitab. And he inquired of the Lord for him and gave him victuals. Gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. True story. He's not lying. Then the king sent to call Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahitab, and all his father's house, the priests that were in Nob. And they came, all of them, to the king. We're going to later see that was 85 priests. And Saul said, Hear now, thou son of Ahitab. And he answered, Here I am, my lord. And Saul said unto him, Why have ye conspired against me? There's false accusation again. Thou and the son of Jesse, and that thou hast given him bread and a sword, and hast inquired of God for him that he should rise against me to lie in wait as at this day. Then Ahimelech answered the king and said, Well, who is so faithful among all thy servants as David? Which is the king's son-in-law and, and goeth at thy bidding and is honorable in thy house? Did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Be it far from me. Let not the king impute anything unto his servant, nor to all the house of my father. For thy servant knew nothing of all this, less or more, but the king wasn't going to hear any of it. He said, thou shalt certainly die, Ahimelech, thou and all thy father's house. Look up here. There was belittlement. 
There was false accusation. And now there's a refusal to accept the truth. See, see, Saul falsely accused Ahimelech of conspiring against him. And so what did Ahimelech do? He wisely, logically, uh, in a composed manner, respectfully, I would say prudently, answered the accusation. What did he do? He used rhetorical questions to state his innocence. He said, of course I helped David. Doeg's telling the truth. But you know what he did to appeal to, to, to Saul's senses, hopefully? He said... Isn't he your son-in-law? Isn't he one of your top soldiers? Haven't you promoted him pretty high in the military ranks because he killed Goliath? We're talking about the same guy, right? I can almost sense the sarcasm. So as to just, just shake some sense into Saul. Like, dude, why do you want this guy dead? Like what maniac chases down his son-in-law? And who wants a good hand, a good helper, a trusted, valiant soldier to die? You see what Ahimelech's doing? Then he said, did I start inquiring of God for David? Ahimelech said, no. No, the custom is that I would only do that for the king. And you're the king, Saul. As far as I knew, here's what David told me. He was running an errand. Go back to chapter 21 for you. That's, that's what he told me. So I gave him bread and a sword because here's what he said to him. Like he said, I'm, I'm doing the king's business and the king's business requires haste. And I run an errand for the king and I was in too much of a hurry to grab my sword and some bread. I just, he's your son-in-law. I thought maybe you wouldn't mind me feeding the kid. <laughs> Nevertheless, as composed and respectful, logical and truthful as the priest was, Saul's victim mentality would not let him accept the truth. You know why? He had his mind made up before he ever confronted Ahimelech. And when a victim has their mind made up about their perpetrator, even the priest can't change it. Can you see how Saul was playing the victim? He belittled others to David in security. He falsely accused others of being against him and out to get him paranoia. Then when confronted with the actual truth about the situation, he wasn't going to listen and nobody's going to change his mind. Pride. Everybody else was wrong but him. I wonder if there are any of these attributes of self-victimization that are present in your life tonight. We're going to clear off a spot and apply some things. Can you go with me for a second? I wonder if anybody in here might be playing the victim. Let me talk to some young people. Good to see rows full of teenagers tonight. And preteens. Good to see you guys down there too. There might be some young people in here and you're playing the victim at home. What does that look like? It's always mom and dad's fault. You lied to them because they never let you do anything. And the only way you get to do anything is if you lie. So you got to lie. They push you in that corner. You disrespected them. Well, because they disrespected you. You're not into church right now, you say, because your parents are hypocrites and they turned you off to church. You see how they are at home and you're like, no, what? I don't want any part of that. Your relationship with God's not dependent on your parents. At school, it's never your fault. It's that teacher of yours that you've belittled to your friends as being dumb. You're not doing good in class because, well, your teacher expects too much. You're going to quit the team because of your coach, right? Has nothing to do with your laziness. Or your inability to sit on the bench until you get better. The coach is mistreating you and playing favorites. And you've even talked your parents into believing you. Are you playing the victim? I've seen people play the victim when it comes to financial hardship. They wallow in self-pity about being broke all the time. 
Say things like, I'll never get ahead. I'll never get a better job. So-and-so always catches the breaks. Why can't that happen for me just one time? And it's not just self-pity because when someone confronts them about the truth of their situation in that their financial hardship is more about their laziness and or their lack of wise stewardship, they don't want any of that talk. Anybody who tells them the truth is out to get them. So they push back on any financial advice or critique and, and resign themselves to a life of being broke. I've watched when someone has experienced chronic health issues. It's brought on mainly by poor lifestyle choices. It's never their fault. The doctor has some practical solutions. Their parents or grandparents or kids and grandkids have offered some practical uh, lifestyle changes that would help and even offer to do these things along with them. Hey, they've heard all the answers, but they've interpreted the doctor's advice as blah, blah, blah. They've interpreted their family's accountability as overbearing. They stopped trying years ago because their victim mentality has led them to believe that this is something that has happened to them and they should be given sympathy, not critiqued for their lack of effort. I've heard people say, I would grow spiritually, but I don't think I can in this church. There's just too many hypocrites there. There's nobody else my age. I'm not truly accepted. I don't have family in the church like everyone else does. I'm not from here, so it's just too hard to get acclimated. Everybody's stuck up in that church. Pastor never pays attention to me. I would grow in that church, but, you know, just can't find a place to plug in. I've watched people wrestle with bad, sinful habits. Played the victim. I'd kick this habit, man. You don't know how hard it is. The stress I have to deal with on a daily basis, there's nothing else that's going to help me. My dad did this. His dad did this. It's just in our blood. I'm going to struggle with this. When their spouse warns them of the danger of the habit, you'd think they threaten to kill them. They instantly go into self-preservation mode and say things like, why can't I just be me? Quit judging me. You have your own demons. When are you ever going to stop nagging me about this? See, part of playing the victim is we flip every piece of advice back on the one giving the advice. So when a flaw is revealed in us, we get defensive and flip it back on the one pointing out the flaw. We become defense attorneys just like that. Or we just shut down completely. We don't argue back because we figured out that didn't work. We shut down and we won't interact or dialogue with the one confronting us. And so in self-pity, we resign to moping around as though we'll never be good enough for them. I'll never live up to my wife's expectations. Why try? I'll never please my kids. Why try? My grandkids will never love me, want to spend time with me. Why try? My husband, oh, he'll, he'll never listen. Why try? Never good enough. Why? You get what I'm saying? I could go on and on, but the truth is that sometimes we, 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 not King Saul, we get in the rut of playing the victim. Sometimes like King Saul, we're plagued with this victim mentality. Everyone's out to get me. It's never my fault. Feel sorry for me. My case is unique. It'll always be this way. I'll never be good enough. Listen, this is a dangerous mindset to have. You know why I say dangerous? Because playing the victim doesn't usually stop with negative thinking or self-pity or blame shifting. It gets worse. I know that because of where playing the victim led King Saul. 
Look at verse 16. And the king said, Thou shalt surely die, Ahimelech, thou and all thy father's house. And the king said unto the footmen that stood about him, these are the foot soldiers, Turn and slay the priests of the Lord, because their hand is also with David, and because they knew when he fled and did not show it to me. But the servants of the king would not put forth their hand to fall upon the priests of the Lord. Good for Saul's servants, by the way. But there was one, one herdsman that was ambitious. King said to Doag, Turn thou. Fall upon the priest, and Doeg the Edomite turned, and he fell upon the priest, and slew on that day fourscore and five persons that did wear linen ephod. And Nob, the, the city of the priest, smote he with the edge of the sword, both men and women, children and sucklings, infants, and oxen and asses and sheep with the edge of the sword. Saul's victim mentality led to a mass murder. He wants the death sentence to be carried out immediately, but his, but his servants won't do it because they don't want to touch God's priest. They know that's, that's a step too far. So he turns to ambitious Doag, and we're given no hint of hesitation with Doag. Sure, I'll do it. So he gets his sword, kills Ahimelech, kills 85 priests, but he doesn't stop there. Most likely he gathers a small militia of worthless men, something that would resemble the Taliban of today. And goes after the wives of those priests and their children and their babies and their livestock. Everything and everyone is killed. I want you to stop for a moment as hard as that is and let these details sink in. Do you hear the cries? Do you hear them in Nob? Do you hear those cries? Do you see the bodies? Do you smell the scent of death? In your mind's eye, are you walking from house to house seeing mom, kids, and livestock laying dead? Are you walking down Main Street and seeing the manager of this business dead? This grandmother and grandfather dead? This little infant dead? Are you seeing this? I'm not making this up. I'm not trying to be theatrical. I want this to sink in for a moment. The quiet scene that we started with, all the way back in verse 6, Saul has a spear in his hand and he's sitting under a tree. Quiet. Has escalated to a chaotic bloodbath. Why? Because he played the victim. Victimization will lead to violence. When you play the victim, watch, you become the perpetrator. Get this. When you play the victim, you eventually become the perpetrator. When you believe, you really believe, that everybody in your home or everybody at your church or everybody in your place of work is out to hurt you, guess what's going to happen eventually? You're going to hurt them. Why? Hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. I know that we probably don't have any mass murderers on our hands tonight. And I'm praising the Lord that there's probably nobody that's planning on killing 85 preachers and their family after the service. We've got a pretty good security team, so I feel pretty, good, pretty safe. But that's not the point. 
The gravity of the sin, the weight of the sin, that's not the point. Here's the point. Victim mentality doesn't stay hidden inside. It leaks out and sometimes in very hurtful and even violent ways. Teenagers who play the victim long enough at their home, you will become the perpetrator. You might not physically hurt your parents, and I hope you never do, but you will make such selfish choices that you break their heart in two. You might as well hurt them physically because what you've done is torn them up emotionally. Spouses who play the victim long enough will become the perpetrator. You might never lay a hand on your spouse to abuse them, and you shouldn't. But by your words alone, you will tear them down over time to where they feel like nothing or at least feel like they can't say anything in return. It'll be a chaotic bloodbath, not because you stabbed them with the sword, but you pierced them with your words. You may not literally murder your boss that lets you go or gave you a poor performance evaluation. But if you play the victim long enough, you'll make sure that when you go down, they'll go down with you. And you will expose everything you know about that company or that department. You may leave a church that didn't work out very good for you. But if you continue to play the victim... When it comes to your spiritual life, instead of taking responsibility, you're going to start doing and saying some crazy things about some good people who actually had your best interest at heart. If you continue down the road of a bad habit and you play the victim long enough to where you really believe you'll never be free from it, you will become a perpetrator. I've seen people hurt people, steal from people, lie to people. Or whatever else they have to do to get money to continue that habit or to cover up the fact that they're still hooked. You don't have to be a, perp a murderer to be a perpetrator. There are all kinds of ways in which a victim mentality leads one to do and say some incredibly hurtful, painful, murderous things. When we look at a scene like this, that should almost make us sick to our stomach. We shouldn't say to ourselves, I would never do that. No, instead we should say this, thank God I haven't done that. Why? Because you and I, if we play the victim long enough, we'll become the perpetrator. And in our sin nature, we will be capable of the most horrendous evil. It's of God's grace that you haven't murdered somebody. It's not because you're composed. It's not because you're too scared to do it. It's not because you don't have the capability. It's God's good grace. You let a victim mentality go on long enough. You let inward turmoil go on long enough. Listen, friend, you are capable of doing some crazy stuff. The story's not quite over. There's a little section of verses that show us just the opposite of what it looks like to play the victim. Thank God for David. Thank God for his character. Look at verse 20. One of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abathar, escaped. So he got out of there. He fled after David, and Abathar showed David that Saul had slain the Lord's priest. And David said unto Abathar, I knew in that day when Doeg the Edomite was there, that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of thy father's house. 
Abide thou with me, fear not. For that seeketh my life, he that seeketh my life seeketh thy life, but with me thou shalt be in safeguard. Look at the last phrase of verse 22. I have occasioned the death of all the person of thy father's house. Look up here, we're almost done. When David heard word that Saul had slain all those priests, plus their families and their livestock, did David pick up his sword and retaliate? No. Did David start slandering King Saul? No. Did David get on Facebook and tell the world how he felt about his local government, his former boss, and his jealous father-in-law? No. What did he do? He took personal responsibility. He didn't kill 85 priests and their families. King Saul and Doeg the Edomite did that. Yet David still acknowledged, listen, that what he said back in chapter 21 to Ahimelech in front of Doeg played a part in the death of God's priest. The first thing that came to David's nine was not they. It was me. All Saul could say They, they, they're out to hurt me. They're conspiring against me. They're keeping secrets from me. They don't feel sorry for me. They, they, they. And all David could say was this, me, me, me. I, I, I. If anybody had the right to play the victim, who who was it? David. All he did was stand up to a 10-foot giant when nobody else would. That's all he did. All he did was kill the dude that that King Saul was afraid of. That's all he did. All he did after he killed them was just go back to the pasture and watch sheep. That's all he did. He didn't tell the women of the town, hey, write a song about me. He went back to be a shepherd boy. All he did was play a harp for an insane king before before the guy was even his father-in-law. That's all he did. If there's anybody that had the right to play the victim, it was David, but he was the one that didn't play the victim. Catch this and we're done. If you want to stop playing the victim and avoid being the perpetrator, you must take personal responsibility. You have to stop defaulting to defensiveness, to self-pity, to blame shifting, to minimizing, to denying to justifying, to lying, to exaggerating, to accusing, to ignoring the truth. Hey, you must take personal responsibility. You must stop saying they, 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 and you must start saying me, me, me. President Harry Truman got it. Kept a little message on a desk plate that he read every day of his presidency. Four simple words. The buck stops here. The buck stops here. And let me give you three simple words that say much of the same thing. I am responsible. Would to God in America we would learn how to say those three words. I am responsible. Though such words cause initial pain because it's humbling, they can actually set you free. Free to repent, free to reconcile, free to make things right, free to move on, free to become a better person, a better spouse, pursue better health, steward your finances more wisely, break a bad habit. 
taking personal responsibility. It's not limiting, it's liberating. You can't become who God wants you to become until you say, I am responsible. And you can know this. Taking personal responsibility sure beats playing the victim and eventually becoming the perpetrator. Just ask the prodigal son. Just go glance at Luke chapter 15 to the kid that told his father, you're as good as dead to me. Give me my inheritance money. I'm out of here. And went to Vegas of the Middle East and spent it all. And he had nothing and a famine hit the land. And he, he couldn't even get a job other than going babysitting the pigs. And when he got down to the hog pen, he finally came to himself. And when he came to himself, he began to rehearse the speech that he would tell his father upon returning back to the farm. And in that speech, he didn't say they, they, they. In that speech, you read it, he said, I, I, I. I am no longer worthy to be called thy servant. I have sinned against my father. Just, just make me a hired servant. I, I, I'm no longer worthy. Here's what I meant to be called thy son. How did that work out for him? Because the culture will tell you, you take personal responsibility, you're going to get behind. Cover your tracks. Push people off the ladder and climb up and don't make it look like you're a mean guy. Nope, just do what you got to do. But the prodigal son heads back home. His father meets him, runs to him, falls on his neck, kisses him. Brings him back home, throws a party, puts a robe on his back, a ring on his finger, shoes on his feet. Kills the fatted calf. But yet the story ends with a guy playing the victim. The elder brother. The elder brother's in the back pouting. The elder brother's in the back saying, I never left it. Never threw me a party. Playing the victim. And according to that story, the truth of the story is this. The prodigal son, the one that left home, wasn't the lost one at the end of the day. It was the one playing the victim at home that never left. He was the lost one. Don't come to church every Sunday and every Wednesday, be in God's house and be playing the victim. It won't work out very well. Because playing the victim will eventually leak out. And somebody around you will get hurt. So God help us to see in our heart tonight if self-victimization is a reality. Not thinking of, of the person next to us who's continually playing the victim, but looking in the mirror of God's word and saying, God, is this me? Am I throwing a self-pity party without even knowing it? Am I making life all about me without even knowing it? Is everything done to me? You know, I'm not even hearing myself talk sometimes. Is that me, God? And if so, if so, here, here it is, church. Repent. Confess. Make things right with the Lord. Come to an altar and remind yourself you're not the victim. You are a sinner saved by grace. Jesus Christ became the victim for you. How dare us who have been saved by the grace of God play like we have missed out on his grace. You have so much more than you deserve and so do I. We never have a right to play the victim.